Welcome to the Healing Place podcast, a space filled with inspirational stories of hope, along with practical advice for your healing journey. Your host is Terry Welbrock, trauma warrior, writer, speaker, blogger, therapy dog handler, and founder of the Sammy's Bundles of Hope Project. As a survivor and a thriver, Terry's mission is to shine the light of hope into the world by interviewing insightful guests from across the globe. Please stay tuned at the end of today's interview as we honor our sponsors. The Healing Place podcast is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas. Now, here's your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and very excited to have with me today Dr. William T. Kenny. And he is a radiologist, but also author of The Conscious Whole, which is an award winning book, uh, novel. And we're going to dive into that and talk about uh, what it's about and a lot of other wonderful subjects. Um, quantum physics and the conscious whole, global consciousness. Um, yeah, so welcome. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So, um, so I'm a radiologist. Uh, I write under the pen name William T. Kenny. Uh, my real name is William T. Randazzo. And uh, so um, as a radiologist, what I do is I, um, so I'm a doctor. I went to medical school and did uh, six years of basically advanced training after medical school. And what we do as radiologists, we read x-rays, CTs, MRIs, ultrasounds. We also do minimally invasive procedures with x-ray guidance. And during the course of my training, um, I learned about physics and also had an interest in physics before uh, pursuing radiology. And when I was in medical school, I um, was learning about DNA and the nucleotides in DNA, these little tiny small mo molecules. And with my kind of interest in physics, I was thinking about how physicists study the small particles, the, the subatomic particles, atoms and protons and electrons and the laws of physics those follow. And um, generally speaking, you kind of, you know, put those into the category of following quantum physics. And a lot of people have probably heard about quantum physics and it's essentially the study and the science of the very small things in nature. So you're talking atoms, small molecules, protons and the parts of those um, atoms as well. And the laws of physics they obey are very strange when you put them in the context of our everyday life and they don't really make sense. And there are a couple reasons they might not make sense. They might not make sense because we don't understand that world completely, which is probably uh, the most true statement you can make. We don't really understand it. We don't know what it's doing, but those particles do very strange things. And so when I'm sitting in my medical school class, this was um, uh, more than 10 years ago, learning about DNA, and they're talking about the nucleotides in DNA, these little tiny parts of DNA that basically determine the code and that code determines what our bodies look like and how they function and uh, disease and health and, and everything that we kind of know about the body. And we describe the medicine as being these permanent fixed pieces of matter that are inside of our DNA. And, and, but when you read the quantum physics literature, they describe little tiny particles as being not fixed, as being potentials and being things that could be both there and not there and things, you know, that can exist in many states. And so it's hard to put those two theories together because in one, on one hand, we're describing DNA as being permanent, fixed, and 
if you have a genetic illness, that genetic illness you're born with, it's with you your whole life, and then you die with it. And it has certain manifestations. But a quantum physicist might look at the particle and say, well, that particle is really only there because we are observing it to be there, which is one of the most interesting parts of quantum physics. How can you observe something being one way, and then you know you look at it another way and it looks different, or it's in a different location? And there's some really interesting experimental um, tests that have been done in physics where you can look at one little particle and that particle could exist in two locations at once. Wow. Now that doesn't make sense. No. Right? We, don't, we don't look at a person and say that person's in two places at once. They're only in one place. And so um, there, there's no congruence between how we see our macro world and how the tiny world works. And it's um, so what I did is I wrote a book. It's called The Conscious Whole. And I wrote, I started writing it in medical school and it took about um, maybe seven or eight years to finish. And what I try to do is I try to bring these two theories together. How do you bring the theories of quantum physics into that of medicine? Now, I'm formally trained in medicine. I'm not a physicist, but I have an interest in physics. And that's, um, you know, kind of what brought me to try to bring these two worlds together. And there are a number of theories in the more traditional literature as to why we think the quantum world behaves strangely in the small setting, but not in the macro setting that we're used to in our day in and day out. Um, but nobody really knows. And some of the explanations are even very, are very strange. And, you know, one of the explanations is called the many worlds theory, meaning that at any given point, you know, you're driving down the street, you can turn left or turn right. And let's say you choose to turn left and that's your world. That's your reality. You've turned left at that at that intersection. But in the many worlds uh, theory, those both both worlds exist. So there's the world where you turn left and the world where you turn right. And those kind of branch off into multiple, into separate universes. And then that happens at, at every intersection, not only when you're driving, but in life and with every iteration of matter. And so you can imagine that creates essentially an infinite number of universes. And we're kind of only experiencing one as far as we can tell. And that's a very strange way to understand the world, but that's one explanation. Um, and so the idea of the conscious old and the book that I wrote is how do you bring those strange laws into health? And what does it mean when, when you're a doctor and you're studying medicine, you're primarily studying disease and you're primarily just studying how do we fix disease? How do we make it better? How do we help people? Right. How do we heal people? And how do we cure people? And I think some of those theories in physics can help guide us in a certain direction to perhaps help us understand the body better and help us understand reality a little better. Yeah, fascinating. For just a moment, I thought about those deja vu moments and you wonder, is that when like the world's, the world's cross and you're like, have I been here before? Have I done this before? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah, it is true. And so that's the kind of interesting thing. We experience these really kind of subtle things in the world. And, you know, when you don't have an explanation for it, you can just say, oh, it's just, you know, some weird thing. You know, my, my neurons are firing off weird. My brain causing me to feel that way. Right. Um, that kind of deja vu feeling. And um, it is strange when you have deja vu. And, oh, yeah. You know, if you don't have an explanation for it, if we don't have science to say deja vu is X, Y, or Z, they can kind of just shrug it off and say, well, well it's, uh, whatever. It's just something random. But we often do that in science when we don't have, when something doesn't fit our paradigm, we often say, oh, that's just, you know, an aberrant data point. You kind of throw it out. But some of the most interesting things are these aberrant data points. And I think sometimes it might speak to a reality that we 
really don't quite understand. Yeah, fascinating. Wow. So yes, yeah, so this so your book is about really the story of someone who experiences um, a, a journey through this, right? Yeah, exactly. So when I was in medical school, I worked in an, an ALS clinic, so Lou Gehrig's disease called amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and it's a progressive neurodegenerative disease whereby um, your neurons essentially fail, and and um, we have no good treatment for it. It's essentially a terminal illness, and um, it's a fairly heterogeneous disease in the spectrum of how it presents. And when I was working in this clinic, I saw all these patients, and you know, that were suffering from this disease. And this was right at the time when I was starting to write the book, and so um, I gained a lot of inspiration from those patients, and kind of incorporated their that kind of disease and that identity and, and what was going on with them into the book. And so the main character is a gentleman named Andy, who is um, essentially a fictional character, but you know, the, the idea in the story is based on people that I had seen in clinic. And so he has a terminal illness and in the book, it's kind of a, a made up illness. So we don't have to get into the specifics of it, but, and he's diagnosed. And then he kind of goes on his journey of trying to discover the world and what, um, and so I incorporate the, some of the ideas of quantum physics into it and try to figure out, you know, how can he change? How can he get healed? And how could he, you know, is it a terminal illness? And if his DNA is telling his body to do one thing, if DNA is not fixed and not permanent as in quantum physics, we might say, then is his disease fixed and permanent? And so the book is essentially kind of a dissertation on that is, is disease fixed? Is it permanent? And, you know, how can we try to, you know, improve that? Yeah. you know, for, for other people that have kind of similar conditions. Right. Well, and you hear these stories often um, where you, you just said is disease permanent, where someone gets a horrible terminal diagnosis of uh, brain cancer or, or wh whatever it may be, whatever disease. And whether they say it was through the power of prayer or whether they say it was through, um, you know, the fact that they started to do more holistic and in, in fueling their body in different ways. And um, uh, I had a friend who had who had cancer. And so she talked about, um, you know, like like the bone marrow uh, soups that she would make and and just and she started to just incorporate a lot of really healthy um, supplements and and then she was able to beat it she was given a pretty scary diagnosis and so mm -hmm. yeah yeah it is interesting and you know one of the most fascinating parts is probably the one of um, of that kind of concept of kind of mind body medicine concept is the placebo effect and the placebo effect is so strong that we actually use it in clinical trials, right? If you have a medicine that you're testing, you want to make sure it's better than the placebo because the placebo has, can have a positive effect. And I think that is, you know, some of the strongest evidence that shows how strong our, our um, perception is on our body and our reality. And if you think you're taking a medicine that's good for you, you actually do better, which is, you know, I find that it's, you know, something you kind of take for granted now saying, oh, the this, you know, pill is better than placebo. But what about the placebo? It's amazing that the a placebo works that, you know, yeah. kind of um, shows you how strong that is and how strong that effect is. And so um, I tend to look at this stuff from a very kind of scientific perspective. And I think that, you know, some of the other things we do in more alternative medicine, you know, certainly have merit and, you know, finding out what has merit and, you know, why they work, I think is really important as opposed to try to just say, oh, well, this is kind of go down the, you know, 
only the traditional route. But that being said, too, um, you know, the side of is that traditional medicine has done a lot of amazing things, too. And I think kind of the future of medicine is trying to incorporate, you know, the best practices and and what the best approach is for treating disease. But um, yeah, the placebo effect is strong. And I think it's interesting when you put it in the in the form of, you know, how we view quantum physics. And so one of the parts of quantum physics is um, the observer effect. And just to kind of, it's a very complicated topic. So just to kind of briefly summarize it, you know, for the audience, um, essentially by the observing something, by being a scientist and, and measuring something like, let's say an electron, you are having a, an effect on that. So an electron let's say in an orbit of an atom can exist in many different states and many different positions. And um, it's essentially a probability function of where it could exist. There are certain areas where it's more likely to exist and that's where you're more likely to find it. Um, according to quantum physics, that particle is going to exist in every state possible until you observe it. So it's called a superposition of states. So the electrons essentially in many, many positions at the same time, one electron, but until you make a measurement, and interact with that system in some way, meaning observe it and, and measure it with your experimental devices, then it goes into that one state. So it's that, in a way, it's kind of that perception or that interaction with the system that seems to be affecting the reality of that system. And there's a famous thought experiment that I talk about in the book. Um, it's called Schrodinger's Cat. Dr. Schrodinger was a physicist, quantum physicist from the uh, early 1900s. and um, proposed this thought experiment, which was actually he made as a kind of a joke because he didn't really believe that quantum physics was the way that it was being described. And the idea of the thought experiment is that you take a cat and you put it in a box. And unfortunately for the cat, you design an experiment where the cat's going to die when poison is released. And that poison will be released at a random time. And you don't know when the poison will be released. So you put the cat in the box, you close the box and you can't see inside the box and you have your device set up to release the poison at a random time. So the question is, when is the cat dead? And the answer in terms of quantum physics is the cat is both alive and dead at the same time. It's existing in two states until you open the box and look inside and then you can see is the cat alive or dead. And so the funny thing is that when you do experiments on tiny particles, you observe that very similar effect. You can see an electron in two spots at one time. So that's one electron in two spots at once until you start to interact with the system, meaning you start to observe it and you start to um, try to figure out where it is. And then that electron goes to one spot. And so, you know, kind of the question that I, that I have is what happens in our bodies? Because our bodies are essentially made of these small little atoms, right? Our DNA is made of these tiny little particles called nucleotides that are you know, essentially make the code of our DNA. And those nucleotides are just, you know, atoms put together. And so if atoms in experiments act in strange ways, do atoms in our bodies act in similarly strange ways? Yeah. I think that's kind of, that's kind of the question of the heart of, you know, what I was trying to figure out and kind of the question of the book. Right. Um, wow. Well, first off, I'm sad for the sat the cats and those experiments. Yeah. <laughs> My well, heart was like, oh, <laughs> Been, it's a thought experiment, so we can yeah. you know, leave it for that. And then second, I, I think I remember reading something or seeing videos or something. There was a, um, a scientist, a doctor doing some experience, experiments, maybe in Japan, somewhere in Asia, where it was like on snowflakes or water or, or and, and 
people even just like thinking angry thoughts or happy thoughts and the impact that it was having on these. And I was so fascinated by it. I don't know if it was ever debunked or whatever, but to me, what you're talking about is kind of the same, like, but you're talking about not so much altering it or changing it, but just by observing it, you're almost like freezing it in time or. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's right. And so that's kind of the, the mystery of it. And if so, if you talk to a quantum physicist and who's formally trained in it and, you know, you start kind of talking about how your perceptions affect reality, they're going to kind of scoff you off and say, that's crazy. That's really not how it works. You know, and I think there's probably some truth to that as well, because the one thing we just, we just don't really understand it yet enough. Right. And that's why we have these really crazy theories like the multiverse, meaning that you have multiple universes that are created at every branching point. And that's, you know, an accepted theory among, you know, legitimate physicists in that in that area of uh, study and so there's probably a couple of things that work probably one of them is we don't under, we don't understand it completely and so our, our modeling is incomplete of, of how this works but also it's really it is kind of the interaction of that system and so what we have to do in these experiments is you set up somewhat artificial circumstances where you have one electron isolated and the one electron doesn't exist in an isolated system right it, all of our electrons are all interacting with everything else around them. And it seems to be that interaction of kind of larger groups of molecules and, and, and particles that create something called in physics, they call it decoherence, meaning that um, if you take one electron and you observe it, it might look behave in really funny ways, it might be in multiple places at once. But if you take a bigger and bigger group of electrons and put them together, they don't behave in that funny way. And then you expand that out, expand it out. And then you have things like our bodies, which are, you know, a massive number of electrons together. And we don't behave in that strange way. And it's probably right. because you have multiple interactions. So the system is systems are not isolated, right? We don't exist by ourselves in the universe. Electrons don't exist, exist by themselves in the universe. It's just, you know, these, everything's kind of connected and existing together. And so that it's that connection that seems to create the reality that we experience every day. Wow. And so um, that kind of goes dovetails into another part of the book, the idea of the conscious whole and what is the conscious whole. And so, you know, I kind of kind of outlined this process of going from these kind of weird theories in physics and how do they make sense on the larger scale of our bodies and maybe the larger scale of our society or our universe. Um, and so the idea of the conscious whole is kind of this large system interacting with everything else. And what does that mean? And so, you know, obviously you can't just pick how you, want you know how your body is every day if you have a disease you can't wake up and say you know today i'm healthy and your body changes that way it doesn't seem to work that way even though we do have the placebo effect which seems to be very strong um there are a lot of other players interacting there's a lot of other systems there are a lot of other factors and that's the idea of the conscious whole is this um collective consciousness so if i have a way that i observe the world in my own conscious experience and then somebody across the other side of the earth has their own way they observe it. We might be separate and observe the worlds in different ways, but if we're living together, you have to have a, kind of a similar reality in order to function, right? We have to kind of obey the same laws and the same rules of physics. I can't just fly through the air because that's not how it works, right? Um, and so the conscious whole is the effect of all these consciousnesses together, creating a reality that we all kind of accept and believe in. Yeah. As, well, as you were talking before we, we turn, 
took a little shift into the conscious whole when you were talking about particles. I, I was thinking about in isolation, you were talking about they behave one way, but as you get gather more and more and more of them, such as like a whole human body, it, it they, they respond differently, um, mm -hmm. they act differently. And it's so really kind of true of us as humans. And that's why I, I, my head was going, so now what you're talking about makes total sense is yeah, um, how we connect together um, changes really kind of how we respond, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of, that's exactly right. You kind of see that on the macro level too. You know, you see that on you know how how crowds behave together and how mobs behave and how societies oh, right. behave, and we all kind of you know follow a certain set of norms. And sometimes those norms are good, and sometimes they're bad. You know, and so um, it's kind of a in some sense a psychological effect, but you know maybe a physical effect as well. Okay, awesome. So so let's talk bring pull trauma into this and and talk about. Um, how it correlates with, with the conscious whole. Yeah, and so um, you can kind of relate that maybe in some ways, if you think about the placebo effect, how your mind affects your body. And the placebo effect is generally in a good way, right? You're taking a pill because you think it's good for you. But if you, you know, if your mental state is not positive, right? If something happens to you traumatically, either physically or emotionally, or, um, or you know, in your family or whatever, you know, that's going to affect you in a negative way. So it's almost like a, a negative placebo effect, right? It's, it's doing the opposite. It's, it's hurting your body. It's not helping you. Um, and so, you know, I think that's kind of, you know, if you can boil down, you know, what that effect is on your body as, you know, as a physician, I'm interested in how it affects our body, right? How, how you know, you, we see a lot of patients with diseases and I think a lot of diseases, um, not in all cases, but in many cases are manifestations of our life. Either it's because you didn't take care of your body and you know you um, smoked or didn't exercise and didn't eat well, and that's going to have a negative negative effect on your body. Um, and maybe it's an emotional state or a mental state that's going to have a negative effect on your body, or maybe a traumatic state that has a negative effect on your body. And so, you know, you can see the manifestations in disease processes, you know, even physical disease processes. Um, and you know, and so I think trauma kind of plays, you know partly that role as well. Um, and it's, uh, it's a, another mind body connection, I think. Yeah. Well, I look, I, I talk a lot about adverse childhood experiences or ACEs on the show and the impact, um, you know, from studies that have shown how growing up in poverty or having abuse as a child or um, neglect, all of those things can has such a profound impact um, especially if you score multiple adverse childhood experiences, more multiple ACEs on future physical health, mental health. I mean, suicide, suicidology goes up crazy and um, heart disease and diabetes and all of these things just, they, they, it jumps the higher your ACEs score is. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You know, I think an area, um, you know, because in medicine, at least in traditional medicine and um, you know, you tend to look at the physical body and say the patient has heart disease and, you know, why do they have heart disease? Well, because, you know, of the physiological conditions in their body, right? right. Um, or, you know, why is the patient suicidal? And well, it's, you know, because of something and, you know, we'll, we'll put them on medication or we'll do this or that. And, you know, we don't often take into account the, you know, the kind of macro picture, what their childhood is like or what their home life is like and what their life is like. And, you know, that kind of stress on their body is, 
has profound effects. You know, it decreases your immune system, increases your cancer risk, and all these really terrible things. Um, and you know, the one thing I kind of hint at, even more than hint at in the book, is how strong these um, uh, perceptions of of the world are. You know, not only on reality, and that's kind of you know to bring in what we're talking about. You know, the physical world or the the world of physics or the world of the particles is you know that kind of interaction with the particle affects the reality of that particle right and so your interaction your essentially your kind of you know mental or your mind interaction with your body and with the reality is going to affect it in in physical ways and create physical manifestations of disease yeah well in your in your book andy he he goes down a path of like alternative sort of um, healing, right? And is he able to then shift um, what is happening in his body? Yeah. And so that's kind of, yeah. So he go, kind of goes through this process of leaving the conscious hole. So the conscious hole, you can kind of think is like, you know, it's, um, you know, a bit like the, the conscious hole in the book is a bit negative. That's kind of how it's portrayed okay. as this thing that's bad. And, and, but in reality, it's not particularly bad. It's just kind of the way it is. Right. And so he leaves this conscious hole and finds a new area and finds a different group of people that kind of, you know, look at the world in a different way. And in doing so, he's able to see that his disease actually for him is not something that's unalterable, something that's genetic, but something that he created, something that, and actually based on a, on a traumatic experience that he had in the past and um, uh, in, in that story of the book. And so that traumatic experience kind of essentially manifested in disease and created this genetic state in his body that the people in the conscious soul saw. And they said, well, you have a genetic disease, but in fact, it was all based upon a traumatic event that he had in his past. And so he trying to, he, he works through that and kind of sees that and is able to, um, you know, kind of restore his health. And then he goes back into the conscious hole to try to show people what he's done. And that's, you know, where the story gets pretty interesting. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I love this. I mean, I, well, one, I, so I so relate to him because funny how, as you talked, um, talking about the conscious whole, I, in my brain was thinking about the conscious whole of like, as people are starting to come to light and starting to understand more, because I've moved from the conscious whole that you're talking about. Of, of the negative world mm -hmm. and having this one mindset of, of approaches towards things to, because of all these interviews I've done and the research I've done. And so I'm over here now, I'm where Andy moved to. Yeah. So that's where I was going to. And I was thinking about as you, as you first started talking, but yeah, that's wonderful. That's just amazing. Yeah. So the idea of the conscious soul could be anything and it's very, it's agnostic in a sense to, you know, any good or bad. And the idea of good and bad, I think, is a very interesting philosophical discussion that, you know, we kind of save for another day. But, you know, the console could be good or it could be bad or it could just be neutral. You know, it essentially what it is is it's the it's the aggregation of all the consciousnesses that are, you know, within it. And that's how yeah. it's created. And um, you know, it, it's up to the people to determine what the conscious soul is. And I think that's kind of the neat part of it, you know, where Andy comes from, just at least in the story of the book, the conscious soul is, is not working in his favor. It's bad, at least for him and under, under his perception. But, you know, where he goes to, he essentially goes to a new space and that conscious hole there is, you know, I don't call it the conscious hole in the book, but it's essentially, it's a new area of consciousness. And, you know, that is more positive for him. And then yeah. he tries to go back and change it. And so it's, um, it's really, you know, something that we create and 
it's an interesting, you know, another facet of the book that I, that was a lot of fun to write about and a lot of fun to kind of explore, um, you know, what it means to have this global consciousness and how does it affect our reality and, and how we behave. And I think we see that a lot, particularly nowadays with how connected we are to everyone else. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing with, um, you know, social media in a way, it's, it's this connection that we've created across the world to people that's instantaneous and we don't know how to deal with it. Right. You know, we're kind of seeing the turmoil of that now. We don't know how to deal with having everybody's thoughts, you know, instantly accessible. Yeah. Well, and again, as, as you talked, um, I, I instantly, like, as you, as you spoke, I was thinking enlightenment, like, it's almost like he had enlightenment and went back into, went back into humanity um, mm-hmm. with this enlightenment. And again, I, what, what you said about we control as a species, as a, as you know, humans, this conscious whole, um, the more that become enlightened, the more enlightened the conscious whole becomes. Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's what he does. And that's kind of, you know, the, uh, the story of the book is that he goes back and he tries to change it and he tries yeah. to show them what he learned and to make it better. And he's uh, ultimately success- successful. Um, there's a lot of twists and turns in that. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. All right. So anything else that you wanted to dive into that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Um, let's say, I think we've covered most of those. Uh, um, oh, our talking topics. points. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we did. Yeah. Awesome. So how do people find you? How do they find the book? Yeah, sure. The book's on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble. It can also go on my website, um, you know, theconsciousoul.com or williamtkenny.com. You can find the book there and links to, you know, buy it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and whatnot. Um, and also IndieBound too. So there's a, you know, supplier of bookstores that hold the book. Um, it's in Kindle and paperback format. Um, I have an email contract on my website, so you can send me an email, any oh. questions. Awesome. And um, yes, yeah, it's just fun to talk about, you know, it's an interesting concept. And I think, um, you know, the, the whole point of the book is that, you know, we can affect change in the world in positive ways. And sometimes you think um, you can't do it because you're just one person. But, you know, you think of some people that were only one person that changed the world too. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, those were just one, it was just one person yeah. that has a, had, had, had a profound effects on the world. So Yes, absolutely. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, I always think of it as the, you know, that ripple effect is, is we impact more people and, um, oh, I lost your video feed for a second. Oh, there, there. Back in there. <laughs> there you are. Um, you know, I, it's funny because I find hearts everywhere. I find hearts. I'm not kidding. Dozens a day. I'll just be walking along and I'll be like, Oh, look, a, a cloud in the sky. And it's in the shape of a heart or a wad of gum on the street. And it's in the shape mm-hmm. of a heart. And so I'll take snap pictures and I pop them out on my Facebook page or social media. And what's happened over the years has just been amazing because now I have people that will tag me in posts. Uh, I would say at least weekly, if not multiple times a week. Hey, Terry, I found this heart today and I thought of you. Hey, Terry, I find hearts all the time now because of you. And so to me, it's just amazing because my whole hashtag with it was love is all around us. And just to help people be more conscious of, you know, to be aware that love is all around us. And so just snapping a picture of some hearts and putting it out on social media mm-hmm. it had this profound impact on so many people. And it just, it makes my heart happy to know that it was simple, but it had an impact. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the point of that I see too, is that the, it's the choice that you have. Right. And so, 
you know, you see hearts because that's how you're seeing the world. And that's, you know, a very positive way to look at it. And you're helping people around you. Unfortunately, you know, there are people too that see negativity in the world. Right. And I think, you know, particularly, you know, relating to trauma and traumatic experiences, it, and I think it could, you know, kind of steer you in a direction where you maybe you're only seeing negativity. And, but I think there's a lot of power in knowing that you can see the world in different ways and you can perceive it in different ways and you can make it positive. Yeah. And, but it's a choice, you know, it's ultimately a choice. It's, um, you know, how you see the world is how it will be. Right. And, you know, and are you going to be positive or are you going to be negative? And that not only affects your emotional state and how you're feeling that day, but it also affects your body, physically affects your body. And, yeah. you know, I think you have to try to, you know, you know, encourage that in, you know, in yourself and in the people around you and try to help people, you know, see the positivity in the world and try to, you know, change it where you can. Yes, I love that. Absolutely. It made me think of a, I saw a cute little cartoon once that had like two people riding in a bus on either side. And on one side of the bus was this beautiful view and a sunset in a valley. And then the other one was like, they were driving on a cliff wall. And the one was looking out the window and just so dejected and, and depressed and just looking at that wall. Mm-hmm. And the other one was just smiling and beaming and like pressed up against the window because so excited to see this beautiful view outside. And it was, you know, like your choice on, on how you decide to view what's around you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. You know, and it's, um, yeah, again, there's a lot of power in that. How For you can, sure. you know, just navigate the world. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me here today on the podcast. It's just been an enlightening, wonderful conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Healing Place podcast with your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. If you enjoyed this episode, and want to learn more about Terry, her mission, and the Hope for Healing journey, visit Terry's website at www.terrywellbrock.com. Thank you for liking, commenting, sharing, and offering your reviews on our YouTube channel, audio outlets, and Facebook page. And as Terry reminds us, until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself.